You're listening to a special guest speaker on the Calvary Brighton podcast. Yeah, if you would, could we all stand as we read verses 1 to verse 12 of Matthew chapter 5. And then we'll start with a word of prayer. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he had seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Father God, we set this text before you and we're asking you to minister to us personally and collectively by means of the Holy Spirit. You know us like nobody else knows us. You know us better than our spouse. You know us better than we know ourselves. And so we're asking God that you'd use the scripture and we give this time to you, Lord, that our ears would be open and our hearts would be open to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As we look at the first three attributes, what I see is the inward working of the Holy Spirit upon the heart. Because as you read these, you find out that this is not a condition that you can necessarily bring yourself to. It takes a work of the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to your real poverty in spirit. Notice Jesus said in verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's not merely addressing some physical condition of poverty because there are those who are in a condition of poverty who have a hard heart toward God. But Jesus clarifies this poverty and he says, he says poor in spirit. And this is a condition that something is, is uh, uh, something has broken upon your heart. And I think the word brokenness is a good one-word description. Where all of a sudden you see your life in a condition of complete collapse before God. The sin of your life has had terrible results on your life And your sins against other people have had a terrible result on them. 
and you're stuck in a situation. Because the word poor means that you are without resource, you are without hope. There's, there's a brokenness and being stuck. And it reminds me of the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son, when he came to his dad and said, I want my portion of the inheritance. Basically, he was telling his dad, I, I'm, I'm hoping you're dead so I can get your stuff. And, and the father in the parable gave him his portion. And he took off to a far country and spent everything his lust desired. But he ended up in, in poverty. And as a Jewish boy, feeding swine, unclean animals. And he was in complete destitution. And the one verse that stands out in that whole parable is when he came to himself. It's like hitting rock bottom and your eyes are open to your real condition and the deception leaves. And those of you that are believers, you can remember that time when all of a sudden the gospel broke through and you saw your condition before God as hopeless for you to do anything to change it. And because the gospel is a gospel of grace, God comes to you in your brokenness and he offers Forgiveness, because justice has been served for your sin and it landed upon his son. And he, God is saying with the gospel, if you'll believe on my son who paid your personal debt, I will forgive you of all your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But you've got to first see your own need. You've got to see the poverty of spirit that you're in. And that takes the Holy Spirit to open your heart to that. Psalm 34, verse 18 says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Psalm 51, 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Some of you here this morning may be in that condition right now because of what's happened in your life, because of your current situation, your family has collapsed, uh, you have lost your health, and you're in a state of complete brokenness. And the Lord is talking to you. And he's saying, you have been brought to that reality not merely by your bank account, but by the Holy Spirit showing you your own poverty of spirit. But Jesus isn't here to condemn you. He's here to give you hope because the promise is theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We have been blessed as a believer when we have put our faith in Jesus 
on every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, as Ephesians says. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Yeah, but how's that going to pay my rent? How's that going to fix my relationship? You're, you're focusing on the wrong thing. You need to focus on the Lord and his care for you because he's doing a work on the inside first. We always want the storm stopped on the outside. But the desire of Jesus is to calm the storm on the inside first. Because if he calms the storm on the outside and doesn't fix what's going on inside, you're just going to go over it again. Does that make sense? And, and we are so impatient with God. Fix my situation. I demand it. Really? You call him Lord and you're demanding him? He wants to calm the storm in your heart. That's why he said to the disciples, do not be afraid. Peace, it is I. You see, Jesus is the eye of the hurricane. When everything's spinning around in your life, and you're watching the tractors and the cows whip around, you know, and while you get in the eye of the hurricane, then there's peace. Peace that passes understanding. But only the Holy Spirit can bring you to that point. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You sense your unworthiness before God. You have no rights to anything. And here Jesus is saying, I want to give you the kingdom. Yes, you've lost everything. Yes, you are indeed hopeless on your own. But I want to give you all things. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of of heaven. Verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And when you consider the context that Jesus is talking to his disciples and not just speaking into a funeral, because actually it would apply. I mean, the Lord does provide comfort when our times of sorrow. That's, that's biblical. But in the context here, I think it's, it's referring to when the light comes on and you see your sin for what it is. That you've got nothing to offer God. That, Lord, I'm so sorry. That's called Repentance. Repentance, where you want nothing to do with that old life. You're mourning over sin. It reminds me of Peter when Jesus, in Luke chapter 5, it describes Jesus getting in Peter's boat and preaching to the multitudes there. And then when he was done, he said to Peter, um, you know, push out for, um, launch out into the deep and you'll, you'll get a catch. And Peter's response was, Master, I'm the fisherman, you're the preacher. (laughs) Basically, he says, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. And they're washing their nets, which was a big hassle. And so Jesus is sitting in the boat, by the way, when he's telling Peter, who's also in the boat, and Andrew, washing the net as they're listening, to launch out into the depth. And you'll, and you'll find a catch. Well, they did night fishing there. That's what they did. Closer to the shore, they would throw out the net, let it fall, and bring it in. And all they got was like old tires and tennis shoes, basically. And so then they had to clean the whole net. And here, after all night, they're tired, they're beat, they're frustrated, no income. 
And here's this preacher saying, uh, go out there and throw down your net and you'll get a catch. But Peter, he just says, nevertheless. That's an important word, by the way. Nevertheless, is even though you've got your idea, are you willing to follow the word of the Lord? And it's okay to say that. Um, Jesus was in the boat. He didn't get out of the boat because when you read carefully, I didn't intend to go into a full study on that, but when you read carefully, as they threw the net out into the deep, there were so many fish that were caught in the net and they were trying to pull the net in. The boat was starting to sink and they whistled to James and John to bring their boat in and they both got side by side and filled both boats full with fish and they began to sink. And then it says, Peter fell on his knees and said to Jesus, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. He was brought to the place of mourning over his condition before the Lord who was in the boat with the fish. And that, that's a work of the Holy Spirit to bring you to the place where you just see how destructive sin is in your life. The promise is that they shall be comforted. When the Holy Spirit shows us our sin, it's never to condemn us, but to bring us to the place of comfort. And the comfort is in his forgiveness. The comfort is in his cleansing. Psalm 32, verses 3 through 5, When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My, val my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. That means stop and think about that. I remember my fight with the Lord. I was playing in rock bands in the northwest part of the country. I was 18 at the time, and the band rented this big house in Portland, Oregon, and, and some Christians moved in to help pay the rent, and they were in my face 24-7. Um, and I was involved with um, the occult and Eastern mysticism and drugs and astral projection and all that kind of heresy, you know, I should have been shot. But they were patient with me and they, they shared the gospel with me 24-7. And for six weeks, I argued and argued and argued. And then one night, it's like, what if they're right? I'm watching them and it's real for them. What if they're right? Oh, they can't be right. I'm right. Yeah, but what if they're right? And that was the Holy Spirit reasoning with me, bringing me to that place, kind of like a fisherman, just, just you know, 
drawing it in. And you know, a good fisherman will let the fish tire out. So you think, oh, I'm getting away with it. You know, all of a sudden, uh, <laughs> you know, and your whole life is, is getting jocked over to the, to the side. And you're going, what's going on? How am I thinking these thoughts? Could be you here this morning. Somebody brought you here and you can't believe you're in church. You had not been in church in years. And the Lord is speaking to you because he loves you. And he knows what you've been through. And he knows that nothing else can, can heal your heart except for him and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's continue on. The third um, beatitude here under the inward working of the Holy Spirit is verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. In the context here, meekness means yieldedness. It does not mean weakness. In the world, somebody that's meek is considered a doormat. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Because in the scripture, meekness is equal to yieldedness to God. It, it would have to do, like a, if you had a sentence to summarize meekness, it would be, not my will, but yours be done. Only the Holy Spirit can bring you to that place. Because how we fight with God with our plans, we love our plans. Our plans make sense to us. But when we let go of our plans to God, then we, we give him the right to drive the car. We give him the right to alter our plan. Not my will, but yours be done. And it also reminds me of John, what the John the Baptist said in the Gospel of John. He must increase, but what? I must decrease. I have learned over my 54 years of walking with the Lord that his way is always smarter and more adventurous than I could ever come up with. I mean, when, when we were in England, uh, we had this plan that when I turned 70, then we would come back and, and I had it all, it all made sense until my heart attack. And all of a sudden, uh, I was thrown into a situation where I couldn't even go to church. I couldn't be around people for more than five minutes without falling asleep. Um, it had taken so much energy out of me. And so the fellow I was working with in a long-term transition had to now speed things up and had to, I had to turn the church over to him because I couldn't run the church. Couldn't even show up for two months. Couldn't even do it. And then I thought, well, okay, now when I get all healed up, I can just go around and help out other pastors like our ministry is and all. And so um, we came back to Colorado to um, help out with uh, watching our grandkids for a while. And we found this house in Aurora. And I, and I thought, you know, we should probably buy this house and let it be a rental so that when we're ready to come back, we'll just move back in and everything will be smooth. Makes sense. The house closed in a month. And so I'm, I'm getting ready. And we went back to England. <clears throat> I'm getting ready to contact a property manager to find a renter. And this was in 2019. And the Holy Spirit said, no, you're moving back. 
and I argued with God. This is not meekness, by the way, yieldedness. This is arguing with God. No, I, no, I, no, I, I <clears throat> that's not how it works. I mean, I've, it really makes sense that, and, and it was kind of like when you're playing chess and the other guy says, checkmate. And um, part of you wants to kick the board so that, it, you know, the game stops. But checkmate is the game's over. So I said, okay, all right. Yieldedness. Not my will, but yours be done. But we've got to tie some things up here first. So we get back um, four years ago, next month. Little did we know that six months later, COVID would hit. And in England, they're serious. They had police on the roads. And if there was any car on the roads, they would pull the car over. And you had to have a paper saying what you were doing was essential, or you would get fined 1,000 pounds per person in the car. I mean, I read an article where there was a couple of kids that took a risk, took a chance, jumped in the car, went down to Plymouth to get a bag of Doritos, and the police pulled them over and... Uh, it was the most expensive Doritos they ever bought. <laughs> Yieldedness. What's the, what's the promise? They shall inherit the earth. God will take care of your needs. He's the owner of all things. But his way of doing things has to do with his plan and not just your particular desire. Can you trust him? That's the inner working of the Holy Spirit on your heart, bringing you to that place of yieldedness. Blessed are the meek. As a result of that inner working of the Holy Spirit, there is this hunger for God, by the way. How, look how Jesus describes it, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hunger and thirst. You know, the three top basic drives in every human in this order are air. I mean, without air, you're dead quick. Number two, so there's a basic drive, air. I need air. The second is thirst because you will die without that. Number three is hunger. And so here... Seeing that, here is this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And in the scripture, when you see the word righteousness, you define it as what's right from God's perspective. The right way of life according to God's law. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is a result of the Holy Spirit working in your heart. I remember coming to Christ at age 18 and all of a sudden the hunger for, for the word of God and wanting to find out about Jesus, wanting to know the truth from God's perspective, just I couldn't get enough of what I was reading. And people say, what do you do during the week? Oh, I go to Bible study. I love it. They're going, Bible study? Well, I mean... 
Why? Why would you do that? I don't know. I can't get enough of it. I don't know how to explain it. I love going to Bible study. I love going to church. And they're going, man, you're off the deep end. What happened to you? Well, I'll tell you what happened. The Holy Spirit got involved with me on the inside. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Psalm 63, verses 1 and 2 say this. O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. John 4, verse 13. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And then John 7, verse 37, it says, On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. They shall be filled. Filled with what? Filled with life, filled with purpose, and filled with true identity. There's nothing wrong with that. How can that be bad? But you can't make somebody do that. It takes the Holy Spirit to do that work. Let's look at the next beatitude, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And I've put this under the, the upward working because as I learn about God, I see his great mercy. Because mercy is defined by God, not by some social uh, justice system. Mercy is defined, first of all, by God, because he defines himself as merciful in the scripture. We see in Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Notice that mercy was the first attribute that God said of himself. Keeping mercy for a thousand, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And then there's justice. By no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. When God offers mercy, he doesn't compromise his justice. Justice is not compromised by mercy. Here's the deal. God is merciful to us in our sin because justice has been served, because the penalty for our sin did indeed go forth upon the Lord Jesus. And that, uh, that's appropriated to us when we believe on his son who died for us. 
But if a person rejects Jesus and doesn't believe on the Son, then they bear their own judgment. Let's continue on. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. And I put this under the upward working because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He cleanses your heart. He brings you into purity before God. And that's a part of his uh, um, holiness because holiness has to do with purity. Separateness is the word in the Greek. The, the word for pure is catharsis. That's our English word, catharsis, which means to be purified by fire or like a vine cleansed by pruning and so fitted to bear fruit. When Jesus speaks of someone being pure in heart, he's implying that something has happened on the inside and the heart has been cleansed. And that's what we need. And even as a, as a, a believer, when you're battling with your thought life and it's impure, you can ask God to wash your heart, to cleanse your thought life by the water of the Holy Spirit. And he'll do that. But you've got to, once you ask him to cleanse your thought life, you need to sow unto things that are pure and holy and godly and his law and be thankful. Don't just go back to what you were thinking about to see if it worked. Yet you've got to, there's a part you play stepping out in faith in changing the direction. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When, when your heart is, is purified by the Holy Spirit, it's so much easier to see the fingerprints of God around you. And you watch God work. And as you pray, you see him break through. Or you see him answer that prayer. Or you see him change your heart toward your enemy. I mean, you recognize him. And there are times when, when God opens the curtain a bit and you sense his presence in your spirit. And it's amazing. There's coming that time when, when we will leave this life and we will see him face to face. But I can, I can see his handiwork around me when my heart has been cleansed. The third area, the outworking of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit has worked in me and has caused this upward lift of my heart to him, then I want to share it with people. This is the outworking of the Holy Spirit through your life. And then that's verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. This is more than just some Henry Kissinger thing doing detente between two nations. Peacemaker here has to do with what you have lived through by the Holy Spirit working in your heart, causing you to look up to God, and you just want to tell other people what they can have because you've experienced it. It's real. And the scripture that comes to mind is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, where Paul says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. 
we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Because being at peace with God is the greatest need for every human. You can step into a marriage counseling and bring peace between, but you know what? If their hearts haven't changed, it's just the next day that they'll wake up and throw things at each other. I mean, how can you? It's not a resolution of conflict between people, it starts with peace with God. Peace with God. And then when you have that peace with God, you will start experiencing the peace of God. But, but, but I want others to, to experience what I have. I want to be a peacemaker with God, a reconciler with God. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Excuse me. Uh, they shall be called sons of God. And that means... I am reflecting the heart of my Father to the world around me because God wants man reconciled to him. But then the next beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Because let me tell you, the reality is there's going to be pushback. If you present the gospel of Jesus Christ to someone you're going to get pushback. And not just pushback, but actual persecution. The word persecute means to pursue, to follow after, to press forward. It describes actions of those who seek to stop the words and actions of those who speak and act according to righteousness as God would see it. Um, we are on a slippery slope as a society. Uh, before, Christianity was somewhat tolerated. Now it's becoming identified as hate speech and as absolute um, um, a mindset and a philosophy that's against healthy change. Uh, don't be surprised. And I would guess that one of the first things that they're going to seek to do is to remove the nonprofit status from churches uh, just as a way, because you just follow the money kind of an issue. Uh, but then it's going to get worse. And yes, in our country. Um, but Jesus said this. Jesus said, don't be surprised. But listen, when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, yours is the kingdom of heaven. If you lose everything because of the persecution, I've got you. I'll take care of you. And by the way, loving your enemy is not a natural emotional response when someone says things against you. Uh, there's a part that makes you so angry. And that's not what the Lord wants to use. When someone does evil to you and persecutes you, there's a part of you that just wants to attack. You know, I'll see your persecution and I'll raise you five. You know, you just, you just want to dump the truck on them. But here's the thing. After you do that, you're not satisfied. You want more. 
And so Jesus comes in and says, I paid for their sin. Are you saying you want to do more than I've done for them? And uh, the answer is, of course, wrong answer. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just wrong. Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Jesus, uh, Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's a faith statement because I can't comprehend that when I consider the, the heinous acts of war in, our, in man's history. What is this glory that, I mean, on a, on a full moon night when you're out in the woods and it's absolutely lit up, it's glorious because you can see there's security, there's safety. But when the sun comes up, you don't need the moon at all. So Paul is saying here, the glory that's coming Will, will so outshine the sufferings that they have hardly any bearing at all when you're in the midst of that glory. That's hard to comprehend, but it's true. Finally, verses 11 and 12, and we'll close with this. Jesus switches here in verse 11, blessed are you, disciples, when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. And, and Jesus puts himself in the middle of it, for my sake. To revile means to defame, to rail upon, to chide, or to reproach. Saying all manner of evil falsely to be lied about is one of the most difficult things to bear. Especially when, when you've done so much to live a life of integrity and they, and they go and twist and turn and, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake, Jesus says. What are you supposed to do? Rejoice. That's only because you know the reward, not because you feel it emotionally. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And this happened with the apostles in Acts chapter 5, verse 40. When they, the Sanhedrin, agreed with uh, Gamaliel, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. You can only rejoice when you're convinced of the promise. Otherwise, you can't rejoice. How we need the inward working of the Holy Spirit on our lives, even today, even if you've been a believer for years, you still need that. And that leads to a fresh, awesome uh, picture of who the Lord is. And we need that restored on a regular basis. And that causes us to want to go out and share 
with others the gospel because it brings true peace with God. The only thing that can do that. Religion can't do it. All of your good works can't do it. All of your, your religious actions can't do it. Peace with God comes through only our Lord Jesus Christ and our trust in him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word this morning. And we're asking you to do a work in our life on this date, August 13th. Start that work, Lord. Do it fresh. Do the change, Lord, on the inside. Calm the storm on the inside and help us to trust you with all of our heart and not lean on our own understanding. But in all our ways, acknowledge you and you will direct our paths and make them straight. So God, do this work starting today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton Podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.